0: You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Today, redirected and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I believe that there's areas in your life that you have been living in that are givens. You've just come to believe, this is just the way it is. Maybe it's a way that you believe, maybe it's a way that you practice life, maybe it's the way you engage with people. Regardless, I think... What I'm bringing into this today is I believe God wants to do something new in you today. I'm not going to tell you what that is because I think for each of us it may be something different. And I want you to hear the Holy Spirit tell you, not Louis to tell you. But ultimately, this may be a breaking off of old traditions, uh, beliefs, the things that you do. uh, And my prayer is that you would intentionally embrace what God has for you. And this could have to do with your beliefs about God, beliefs about the Holy Spirit, beliefs about yourself. Uh, could be uh, areas of long-held you know, picture. If you think about our belief system wrapped around who God is, the theology that we have, it may be that there's things you believe about God that continue to put you in a spot where you're just never going to be able to, to grow because you believe something that puts God into a box. It may be that God is inviting you to let the Holy Spirit shake some things off of you. Years ago, we had a friend uh, named Kurt Libby who was a part of our church. Uh, he, we're going back into the like the first two or three years of the church. And he was a part of the Nazarene church tradition, which theologically is very similar to that of Foursquare, except in the area of the Holy Spirit. And one particular day, we had a teaching on the Holy Spirit, and then we had a, another special event that evening, and, and specifically talking about the uh, baptism with the Holy Spirit and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he came that night and I had a conversation with him. I said, so, you know, how are you doing with this considering your entire church world life has grown up believing that when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit and there's no need for you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit because you are to receive Christ. You know, we're basically introducing the idea that theologically, when we come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, but that there is a, some, an event that follows after that where a person is then baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I said, how, how are you doing with that? And he said, well, if I think about it in what I've been taught in church and all the times I've been taught a certain way, it can kind of mess with me. But when I think about it of, I want to grow in everything Jesus has for me, it's actually really easy because I don't ever want to equate a tradition that I've been taught was something that Jesus would want to teach me that would be new or different. It's that We can have traditions of the elders that are passed down to us that are well-meaning that at some point get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. We're going to hear about that today with Peter and his interaction with a God-fearing Gentile, non-Jewish guy named Cornelius. So as I'm looking at this, Coming off of what we talked about last week, last week was the story of two significant things. One, there was a man named Aeneas who'd been paralyzed for eight years. And God completely healed him. He was raised up, able to move, able to walk. There was another situation where there was a woman named Dorcas. And Dorcas was known for doing all sorts of uh, kind and good things for people. I'm having a little breathe. I got all excited. And I recognized I wasn't breathing enough. It's funny because I have my heart rate monitor to tell me if I'm doing good. And it says, you're doing good. So Dorcas was a woman who everybody loved because she did kind things for everybody. And she made stuff. And I don't know if people who make stuff get enough kudos. Because Dorcas was the one who she would make uh, clothing. I'm guessing she probably made good food, too, because the kids loved her. Dorcas ended up getting sick and dying, and Peter is called to go and to visit. And they said, please, can you do anything about this? And as he's trying to go and and bring healing to just see what's going on, he's interacting with all these people, and they're bringing the clothes that she's made, and they're bringing the scarves, and they're bringing this, look at what Dorcas has done. What can you do about this? And Peter sends everybody out, and he heals the woman and raises her from the dead. And as I'm sitting here looking at this situation with... The man who was lame for eight years, for the woman who was dead, seeing that God does something significant. God healed someone that was beyond being healed. He raised somebody up and brought life where there had been no life. It, it speaks to me today as we head into Acts chapter 10 of the new things that God wants to do in us. At this particular portion of the book of Acts, God does this jump into reaching into a people group that he'd never reached into before in all of the history of the, ch- of the church. He reaches into the, the people who are not Jewish. He reaches into the, the Gentile people, and he says, salvation is for you too. Jesus had prophesied that this would happen. There were many people who had already know, had talked about this over the history of the pro- pro- prophets in the church, but this had never happened where the church was going to be spread everywhere. It was prophesied by Jesus, But it hadn't come about yet. And as we are here today, I want to encourage you to be open to the new things God has for you. And also, the importance of breathing. Because if you don't, it can make you feel lightheaded. Like I just did. Which was funny. (laughs) So, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So, Cornelius the God-fearer. God is using uh, the testimonies of what he's been doing to spread throughout this region. Last week I showed you a map of what was happening in the plain of Sharon. In Lydda, all the way to the coast of Joppa, Peter and the other apostles are kind of ping-ponging around the area, going to check out what's happening in the name of Jesus and either praying for it or endorsing it or bringing correction. And in this situation, we get to see a guy whose name is Cornelius in Caesarea, which is uh, the main area that the Romans have their seat of government And it's funny, I did a deep dive. Being a history dude, I got into stuff with Cornelius. He was a centurion, which means he was a commander of 100. It also means that he made five times the money that the regular people did. He was a part of the Italian cohort, which meant that he had 600 men who were a part of the group that he was a part of, and he could have been um, caring for up to Uh, 1,000. Let's see. As a God-fearer, He was a devout Gentile. It means he worshiped God and connected to the Jewish synagogue, but without being fully converted to Judaism, circumcision, and other rites. So this means he wanted to be a part of worshiping God and following God as revealed among the Jews, but not follow the 613 commandments that were attached to it. And so one of the things we see here is he's identified with two primary expressions of devotion and piety for the Jews, and that was uh, giving alms and going to prayer. And so he's praying, and he has this visitation from an angel. And I love this passage. If you, as you read through the scriptures out loud, like I just did, it made me laugh because he sees this angel, and it says Cornelius, and Cornelius does what any of us would do. He stares at him in terror. Because when we're praying, we expect God to answer, but do we expect to, to see Him and Him to say, Hello, Louis? Do we expect that? No. So when we see Cornelius is in terror, we think, This is a dude who's not easily scared. And in this situation, as this appears in front of him, it's like, Whoa. What he's told is this messenger appears and says, God has remembered your prayers, He sees your worship. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send men to Joppa for a guy named Simon who's staying at another person named Simon's house who's a tanner. Now, here's the thing. S- uh, Cornelius, being a God-fearer, knows that a Jewish person cannot come into the house of a person who is not Jewish. It violates the law. He also knows that this appearance of this angel has told him, this is what you're going to do. At no point in this situation do we hear him say why, how, or, or what's supposed to happen here. Instead, we see his pure obedience. We see him not knowing why. We see just knowing that he is to obey. He has faith in the one who is giving the orders. It reminds me of another situation where Jesus had an encounter in Matthew chapter 8 with a centurion. And there's something about the military guy who understands the chain of command. And all the people who have been in the military say amen to this. You understand chain of command. And so in Matthew chapter 8, a centurion had come to Jesus and said, I've got a, a servant who's sick. Would you come and heal him? And Jesus says, sure, I'll be on my way. And he says, no, you don't need to come. The centurion says, you don't need to come. All you need to do is say the word and he'll be healed. Because I am also a man under authority. I know how this works. You say it and it happens. And Jesus stops and he says, hey, look at this. I have not encountered this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. Only with this guy who's not, he's not he's not a Jew. He's a Roman centurion. He's a part of the hated Romans. And he has the kind of faith I've not seen among my people. And it says at that moment, the guy was healed. Cornelius gathers two members of the household and sends someone who's under his command. And he says, I want you to go to Joppa and I want you to find Simon who's staying with Simon, a tanner, Okay. Well, how are we supposed to do that? I don't know. It's 20, 30, you know, it's several days journey. And so I can only imagine these guys go into the town of Joppa, and they're going around, and they're asking, do you know where Simon is? Well, which one? Well, Simon who's staying with Simon. And pretty soon it's like, oh, the, the dude who, he healed the, he, he, he raised the woman from the dead. I know where that guy is. And so they send him to uh, Simon the Tanner's home. And as they're going there, Peter's having his own experience because you have to keep in mind, Peter's life and worldview and life framework as a Jew is that you cannot have any interaction with a non-Jewish person. According to the Torah, according to the Mosaic law, according to all the religious and dietary and social and interpersonal and family and everything types of the restrictions were designed to keep him ceremonially clean, able to enter the temple. If he violated any of these areas, if he interacted with a a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, they would be unclean for a specific period of time, would not be able to celebrate the, the festivals, would not be able to go into the temple, would have to go through special washing. It was a big deal. And so in this situation, I want you to keep that in mind as we read in Acts chapter 10, these next few verses, 9 through 16. So the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop at the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here's the thing. There is a vision from heaven. It, and it says Peter went into a trance. And I looked up this word because when you think of trance, you almost think of, I don't know what, what you think of. When I think of trance, I think of like my, you know, nine-year-old grandson when he's, you know, playing his Pokemon game. Or he's doing something with a, with a video game. and He's kind of got that stare on his face where he's there. But he's not there. You know what I'm talking about? You could say anything you want to him, and they're not going to hear you. what I'm saying. It's kind of like that. You know what I'm talking about. But it, it's more, when I look this up, the word here is used several different places. It means a state of amazement or a spiritual or reverent state or an in-between state of amazement. And there's different places that it shows up in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus raised the little girl from the dead. And he says, little girl, come forward. It says, and there was great amazement it's the same word for trance in mark chapter 16 when the women were told by the angels go and tell the disciples jesus is alive it says they were amazed same word in luke chapter 5 when jesus is hanging out with some friends inside a a house and all of a sudden someone rips open the roof and drops or lowers slowly drops is not necessarily the right word uh, lowers slowly a man who was paralyzed on a on a litter and he sees the dirt and dust coming everywhere, and he heals him and says, there was great amazement, same word. And then there's another one, Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they encountered the man at the gate, beautiful, who was lame and hadn't walked in for most of his life. And it says, when he was healed, it says there was great amazement, great astonishment, same word. So you get the idea. It's a heightened spiritual state, and it's not like he had to work himself into it, but there's times when you pray, when you have the up, ability, and it's not like it makes you some sort of holy person, it's just sometimes it happens where when you're praying, you're seeing heaven and earth together. I think that might be the best way to describe it. So in Acts chapter 11, he says, I was in a trance, and then I saw a vision. So that's how Peter described it, so we'll go with that. He he, he sees this vision, and it's this sheet, four corners, and by the way, remember, he's hungry, it's lunchtime. And inside the sheet, there is every kind of animal, every kind of reptile, every kind of bird. And then he hears a voice, go get it, Peter. Kill it, eat it. And Peter's repulsed because in this, in addition to bacon, which was, you know, with the pigs that were in it, uh, there was all sorts of creatures, every bird, every reptile, every animal. And Peter says, I'm not going to do that. I've never eaten something unclean. I'm not going to do that. And this voice speaks to him and says, don't call unclean that which I have made clean, or that which I have made whole, that which I have made holy. And it happens three times. I believe it happens three times as a way of cementing it. God, when He's working with us, does not have a problem repeating things to us multiple times. We can think, well, if you miss it once, then you missed it. Actually, over and over again, we see it's God's patience with us, where he will speak to us in different ways. Look at in the Old Testament with Gideon, where Gideon is told, God says, I want you to go do this. And he says, I'd love to obey, but I'm a little nervous. Can you give me a sign? And so God gives him a sign, miraculous sign. And he says, it has to do with the fleece. This is where we get the, the nice lingo of, I'm going to put out a fleece to God. It's like, I'm going to exercise my unbelief to the Lord today. Mm. And where he takes this, this Gideon takes this fleece of sheep, try and say that fast, this fleece, and puts it outside and says, if God, you really want me to do this, I pray that the whole ground would be wet and the fleece would be dry. And so Gideon wakes up the next morning, goes outside, it's soaking wet except for the fleece, the fleece is dry. And God says, so you're ready to obey? And he says, I'm still scared, so how about we do another, another trick, another thing. I'm going to put the fleece out, and this time we'll have the, the ground dry and the fleece wet. Can you do that? And so he wakes up the next day, and it's dry on the ground. He goes and picks up the fleece, and he he squeezes out the fleece, and it's sopping wet. and gets, you know, like 80 million gallons overstating of water. And so he says, fine, I'm going to do it. That doesn't mean you you can drag your feet when God tells you to do something. But in a situation like this, God is breaking down preconceived ideas and belief systems that are religious and have been there and had been intended to be followed for Peter his entire life. And now he's saying this is done. And this is where, for me, as I'm looking at my own life, I don't ever want to get to a spot where I know Scripture to the point where I can't be taught from Scripture. I've heard people say, well, I own the book of Ephesians. I own this book. And I hope you haven't said that. Because I own it too. It's in here. It's in this. It comes with a collection of 66 total books. But there is a little thing called the Holy Spirit, this person of the Godhood, the, the Trinity, that will teach us what the words say, what the words mean, and apply it to our heart in ways that are living and active and sharper than any sword. In Hebrews chapter 4, it even compares it to being able to divide between soul and spirit and joints and marrow and our thoughts and the intents of our heart. Scripture is not something we own. Scripture is something we we love and we pursue and we read and we let it read us. But we never get to a spot where I know what this means. Years ago, I was leading a Bible study going through the book of Revelation. And we got to Revelation chapter 4 when God calls John, who's having this revelation series of visions given to him, and he says, come up here, and the guy in the Bible study said, and that's, that's proof of a pre-tribulational rapture. And I didn't want to make a scene out of it, but he started it. And so I said, what, where do you get that? And he says, well, in this commentary, in this, I was like, no, from this, what this says, it doesn't say that, it says, John, come up here. You know that the idea of a pre-tribulational taking of the church is an idea that's only been around for about 150 to 200 years, and it originated in the West, kind of in, in uh, England, and took, got really popular in the United States? Do you think that maybe our propensity to avoid pain would cause us to be people who embrace a theology that would be avoiding pain? I believe in pre-tribulational rapture. We're not going to suffer. God's going to take us away. Tell that to the people in China, in the Middle East, in other Turkmenistan and North Korea. A couple weeks ago in Germany, we met a man from Turkmenistan. It's compared to North Korea as far as its openness. It's a little bit less progressive. I can put it that way. And this man is a Christian. He's known of being a Christian. And for being a Christian, he's been uh, imprisoned multiple times. He's been tortured many times. And as he's, some of the people, he, he was not talking about the torture. His friends that were with him, his disciples were talking about the torture. The people who he was teaching. Because it's like, this is what you can get if you are a Christian in Turkmenistan. And his disciples were talking about the time when they stripped him and put him, you know, kind of soaked him in water and then put him into an electrified chair and then used the battery cables to shock him. Not enough to kill him, but enough to torture for hours and hours on end, leaving him with scars and burns all over. Just recant. Just recant your Christianity. Just recant. This was a guy who asked a question. So we were talking about Christianity and discipleship that, where people were picking and choosing the things that they would obey in the Bible. Kind of the a la carte approach to Christianity. I really like this, but I don't know if I'm ready for that part of it yet. And he wasn't being a tool, but if anybody could have been, it would have been him. He could have, he could have got away with this, but he wasn't being a tool when he said it. He said, I don't understand how a disciple of Christ can pick and choose to obey the things that they only want to obey. That if you're a disciple, then you do what the master says. And he says, like in Turkmenistan, if you're a disciple of Christ, we don't worry about denominations because we're all in this together. We don't worry about well, is this person's theology perfect? Uh, do they call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Sometimes that's as far as they get. He says, "Why, you know, help me understand this." And it was it was sobering to be in the room thinking of the times I've looked at areas of Scripture and it's like, "Well, that's hard. I'll pray about that." God reminds us we do not have to pray about the things that are explicitly stated here in Scripture. Uh, by, the, by the way, anytime somebody tells you scripture is very clear, it means usually there's a lot of debate about it. But on the things of uh, confessing Christ, on being baptized in water, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being kind to one another, praying for one another, uh, putting, into word, putting into practice the words of Christ, these are things we don't have to debate. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, do everything without arguing, complaining. Forgive. Ooh, these are all things that are par for the course of if you're a Christian, is what we're called to be and to do. that makes sense? Okay. So Peter's life is about to change significantly as he sees this, and he's wondering, what does this mean? I've just seen this sheet opened. I've heard the voice told me to kill and eat. I've said, no, I can't eat because it's dirty. And I hear the voice say, don't call unclean what I have made holy, what I've made right, what I've I've made clean. And it's at this moment, Peter hears somebody yelling, there's three Gentiles at the door for you, Peter. Why would they say that? Because they can't come in the house because if he's Jewish, the the non-Jewish people can't come inside. So Peter goes out and says, okay, what's up? And the Gentile, one of the guys that uh, Cornelius had said, said, "Um, excuse me, all right. We're here on behalf of Cornelius. He is a centurion. He is God-fearing. He is upright. He has a good reputation among Jews. And a holy angel sent, said to him that we're supposed to send for you to come and to talk to us. So, how about it? And Peter is thinking the last thing he'd heard upstairs was the Holy Spirit say, there's men at the door. Don't be afraid to go with them because they're from me. So Peter's hearing this and he's like, You got to be kidding me. I'm going to go with these non Jewish guys somewhere to talk about something. I'm in. Okay. We get to see pure obedience, faith, and action. Peter, but he doesn't go by himself. Peter brings his buddies. It says, The next day, they left and went to Caesarea, and not a few people from Joppa went as well. Because Peter's like, if I'm going to be breaking the law, I want a bunch of witnesses that God was, like, making me do this. So everybody's going to come and see this. It's not going to be just me. This is classic little brother behavior, okay? (laughs) Classic little brother behavior. If I'm getting in trouble, I'm bringing bringing witnesses as well. This is, I don't know this for sure, but I would almost bet you Andrew was the older brother because of just even seeing this. Anyway, I don't know how long it took them. It, it probably took the greater part of a week to travel from Joppa to Caesarea. But in that time, can you imagine where you've got the three non-Jewish guys, and then you've got the entourage with Peter, and now it's time to eat. And we can't eat with the people who are here that we're going to go to the house where they're going to be but we can't eat with them because that violates the law, but they're there, and God told us we're supposed to go with them. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be treating this person? Can you see the quandary these guys are going to be on, on just even the most normal interactions that people would be having? How are we going to do this? Anyway, all that is skipped. Luke is like, take them to the Cornelius' house. So he gets there, and he, I don't know how long he stood at the door, but by going in, it's like, his Every time, his don't you ever go into a, a person's house we don't know, and especially not a non-Jewish person. he have been told this over and over and over. You don't do this from the time that they were small. And he's standing on the threshold, and he crosses in. And as soon as he gets in, Cornelius falls on his face in front of Peter and starts to worship him. And Peter goes inside. And he says, I'm just a dude. Stand up. Come on. And he looks around, and he sees there's a ton of people in the house. It's full, which is evidence that Cornelius's working genius was galvanizing because he rallied all these people together. He wasn't going, you know, Peter brought these guys to be witnesses of what was going on. Cornelius brought people because he's going to come tell us what to say. And so Peter, his, his whole entrance into communicating with Cornelius was, uh, Hey, guys. You know it's against Mosaic law for me to be here and to hang out with you or even visit non-Jewish people, especially in their homes, but God showed me not to call anyone common or unclean. Sorry, guys. So here I am. What can I, I mean, this is what Peter says. I know I shouldn't call you unclean, but that's what I believed forever, but God told me not to. So what's up? And it says Cornelius retells the story four days ago, et cetera, et cetera, and And finally ends with, now we're all here to hear what God commands you to say. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his names. We have good news for the non-Jews. Peter said, just tell us what we we need to know. And he gives a very brief and clear presentation of the gospel good news to everybody who's there. You guys heard about Jesus. This is what he did. This is what happened. He died. And when it comes down to it, we're all here specifically believing that Jesus is the one who the prophets told about that everyone who would believe in him would receive forgiveness of sins through his name. So as this is happening, while Peter is saying these things, the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days." Peter is still talking. He still has a couple points left. He's on a roll here. Don't forget, this is the same guy who spoke for quite a while in Acts chapter two after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People are saying, what is this? And Peter, let me tell you what this is. This is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. He's going, and he's going through. He's on a roll. He's got his, his confidence up. And in the middle of it, it says the Holy Spirit falls upon everybody who's there. If you might wonder what this would look like, that that was my first thought. What does this look like? I've been in rooms where A person was uh, leading people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, people started dropping like flies. They were falling down. Sometimes that happens. What is the theological belief about that? Uh, Sometimes I think people would be overcome or overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, and they would fall down. Other times, maybe it's a lot of emotion. Other times, sometimes people see people falling, and it's like, I guess that's what we're doing. It's Falling Sunday. Boom. Boom. People, it, 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 it's not a, it, it's not a theological point, but at some point, there's an evidence that is manifested with people praising God and speaking in language that they could not have known, that is happening, and Peter didn't do anything. This goes to show us there is not a methodology that is to be employed when it comes to praying for people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's good to know what we're doing. Sometimes we see people laying hands on others and saying, you know, in, in Jesus' name, we pray to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And other times we see where there's, uh, okay, who would like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? People raise their hands around the room. Okay, Lord, did you baptize us? And other times Peter's talking and all of a sudden people are like, you know, they're going. They're, they're speaking in another language and they're declaring God. And Peter's like, um, this is what happened to us. This is just like what happened to us. Um. And I don't know if he's talking to his buddies who are with him. Can anybody keep them from being water baptized? Because I didn't think these guys could be saved. And now they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I think we have our answer from the Lord. So can we baptize them? It's funny how much theology ends up being developed through the experiences we have. And it's not that you need... Whatever your experience is, that should become your theology. But I hope that your theology is open to be challenged by the experiences you have with Jesus. Does that make sense? So in this situation, instead of saying, I'm sorry, God can't save you people, saying, well, obviously God says different, and they have the same Holy Spirit we do. And the whole, man, I guess it does say in Joel 2, the Holy Spirit be poured out upon all flesh. Not all Hebrew flesh. Huh. Every, all means all. All means all. Peter's looking at his buddies. All means all. All means all. All means all. And so they baptize him. And at this point, I'm imagining that Peter's kind of let his guard down a little bit because these are brothers. And if they're brothers, then they're not dirty, unclean people to keep me from being able to enter in the kingdom and going into the temple. They're just brothers from another mother. And so he stayed with them for several days at their request. This is going to cause so many problems next week in Acts chapter 11. Because he's going to go back and people are going to say, you went into his house? You ate his food? Peter, you're dirty now. Seriously, that's says what they're doing. But through all of this, I'm praying that you're seeing God's not so much concerned about what our hangups are because he can and will work around them. But he is very much wanting us to be open to be directed and redirected by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I, I, don't, I'm not, I have a list of things on potential redirections. I'm, I'm not going to go into that. But I would just like to invite you to lift up your hands as I pray. We come to a close. Lord, you see us here in this room. And we hear the story about Cornelius and we laugh and the awkwardness that had to be going on with Peter and Cornelius and how everything played out. And we can be completely blind to the areas where we have dug our heels in, where we're stubborn, where we've got our, our belief system and our practices and everything's just all ducks in a row. And it's limited us, what you want us to do, who you want us to be. And I pray, Lord, you'd fill us with your spirit that we would be open, that we would be teachable, We'd be directable. That we would not be closed off to people groups. That we would not be closed off to historic enemies of our souls. People that we've just would consider unclean or just maybe God will send somebody else to them. Work in our hearts, Lord. Make us people who love well. Like Lori talked about, that we love Well, that our love reflects you. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting. Jesus said, people will know you're his disciples by the way that you love each other. What are we doing with this? I want to think about what stands out to you from the message. It may be that God's inviting you to take a step of obedience. What would that look like? It might be that he's calling you to lay some things down, some old beliefs, old practices, old traditions. Maybe you're going to go on uh, an opportunity to seek the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't know what it is that you're calling me to do, but I know it's something. Maybe he's calling you to pick some things up. Maybe there's going to be some things you are removing from your life. Maybe there's things you're going to be adding to your life. As we head towards January 1st, it's a natural time when people reevaluate their lives. Let's not wait that long. Let's let the Holy Spirit come in and and evaluate us. It reminds me of the prayer in Psalms that says, Search me, Father, know my heart. Try me, know my mind. If there's any wicked way in me, pull me to the rock everlasting. Do your work in us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's going to be prayer available right back here in the back when we're done. But as we go, I want to bless you. say, May Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face towards you and give you peace. If you're here today and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to uh, pray with you in the back. You can also grab a yes packet from our Connect and Grow area where John, we wave John, where John is. Grab one of those. Let me say, God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Have a great rest of your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Four Square Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org, that's w-e-b at hillside4.org.